Hey, Raph. So I've been learning Vim, and the idea is, the question I had is, is are Vim people just, because they learned Vim, they're better at structuring their thoughts and sort of being more deliberate about the way that they process information? Or is it the case that the type of person who is going to go and put in the effort to learn Vim and, and advocate for it is that it happens to be the type of person who is uh, very good and well structured and deliberate uh, about their thoughts, um, kind of like um, kind of like you know the 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 thing about multivitamins or megavitamins. Like, there's a very high quality correlation between very healthy people and people who take these vitamins every day. Um, but when isolated, uh, isolating the variables and doing the science, it shows for the average diet there you know, and for the average person, unless you have some deficiency, that they actually do nothing. Um, but but it's the type of person who's going to take a vitamin every day that is also going to be eating healthy, drinking healthy, like taking care of themselves, that uh, you know, getting sleep, all those other sorts of things. Yeah. So the way I'm looking at it is Vim is not required as, as, like, as far as I know from any company's perspective. So if you're going to be learning Vim, you're doing it because you like have a curiosity to learn that like is it's just intrinsic it's not external and if you're intrinsically motivated you're probably going to be learning other things as well so i think the idea like the multivitamin uh, analogy sounds sounds reasonable to me like if you're somebody who wants to learn stuff for the sake of learning stuff probably you're a good engineer so then could there be a person who is uh sort of uh a, a total luddite who who is also just like yeah vim's my thing i just use vim all the time i have never met some every person i know that it's like a, a a vim advocate i would say i would put above myself in in terms of careful precision and you know being deliberate and frankly just a better engineer than me uh so like is it possible to have that <laughs> that's a good question so like or am i the first one there's probably <laughs> Is that like okay? So the the way I feel about it is like the feel that's the feeling that brings everybody to Vim, right? Like if you have that feeling, then you then you then you're gonna be trying to Vim because you're like, no, I want to, I don't want this person to like, just be infinitely better. I need, I want to get better myself, right? So how like what can you do to make sure that you are also on that map of people who are like incredible, right? But then if you if you have this, like of course you're gonna. This is going to be like a normal curve, right? Eventually, where you have people that are like different abilities, different skill levels. And Vim is not like incredibly hard to use, is it? I mean, it's taken me a week to sort of be semi-useful with it, but I wouldn't say it's incredibly hard, no. What would you say the barrier to entry is? Like, do you feel like... Uh... But anyway, I, I feel like the, the, the reason you joined Vim is not because Vim is good. The reason you joined Vim is because other people who are good are using it, and then you're feeling like a little bit left out. Yeah, I think that's a little bit true. But I think so. I was chatting with my wife, who is not technical at all, and saying like, "Hey, you should learn Vim because it's uh, it's good." And you know, but she doesn't use any like keyboard shortcuts or or commands or like optimize workflow on the computer, right? Not even like Command Tab to like get around. <laughs> like it's all mouse and clicking. So I guess maybe that falls into the category of like. The, the person that takes vitamins is like exercising and doing all these other things. Like I, I, I'm a person who is looking for keyboard shortcuts system wide and ways to optimize, you know, even, even as something as little as like setting your default 
Chrome tab page to something useful. How many people just don't don't think or care or do that? And and what's the type of person who's gonna do stuff like that? It's like small wins on a on a larger time scale add up to um, to efficiency. But but why not Emacs then? Like why like what's what's the whole like if if that's true then why is it Vim? Why is it not Emacs? Yeah, it's interesting how much I feel, and I don't have any data, but I feel like Vim is far more popular than Emacs. And actually, before Vim, there was like 13 other, you know, editors in the 60s and 70s when these things were coming out. Um, so why Vim? Yeah, I don't know. I think um, Emacs, I think Vim is more um, systematic, right? You have a, a verb, and then you have like some quantities or selection, and then you have like the action that you want to perform. And it's, um, it's what you can do with that multiplies exponentially whenever you add any new command or selection or movement or whatever or, or verb right so uh versus emacs is about like yes you can do everything but you have to kind of go and write the write the thing to do it uh, emacs commands like the basic movement commands work anywhere on a mac which is i think at the at the minimum people should learn that but learning more emacs is I don't know. I think it's fine. Um, but I think there is something about Vim. I think it hit on something uh, that makes it really powerful without getting in the way and without taking too much time. Because you can go overboard on being sort of a gearhead, right? And being like, okay, I'm going to optimize. I'm going to spend I'm gonna spend three days writing this macro that's going to net over my lifetime, save me maybe 10 seconds of time, right? You can go too far. So it's about finding that balance, I think, and I think Emacs or I think Vim strikes that pretty well, and maybe Emacs goes a little a little further in the macro uh, direction. Not that it, not that you can't do the same thing with Emacs, but maybe yeah, it's at the, looking at the Google Trends and uh, it looks like Vim clear winner. At least, wait, my my timeline is only this year uh, and last year. Let me wait. I'm not even sure how to do. That. Well, at least recently. Wait, okay, past twelve months. Here you go. Five. Oh, there was a time where Emacs was more popular, but no longer. And about uh, 2005 or so, Vim started taking over and since then has been on top. Really? That is way later than I would have thought. Because yeah. I don't know when they, uh, if they ever shipped Vim with the default Linux and Mac OS. But um, yeah, I had to install Emacs to get it to work uh, on my system. But Vim was just there. Mm. I wonder if that has to do with it, if something switched there. I don't know. That's interesting. That's way later than I would have thought. I, I, that's really surprising. Well, one thing I'm appreciative about Vim is is for the uh, XKCD comic, which is like the best way to generate a random string is by giving someone who doesn't know Vim. Like, <laughs> and see how they out. try to exit the program. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect randoms. Yeah. So in my Vim learning path right now, I'm in this in this state where like, if I really want to need to get something done fast, I go into insert mode and I just do it normally. I don't do Vim at all, uh, which is interesting, right? But then Vim, when you go into normal mode, it opens up all these other opportunities for things that you can do. But now it's it's a thing where I know enough, I know the movement commands, I know basic commands, I know, I know, I know visual mode and I know um, how to like set markers and use registers and stuff like that. So I know enough that now everything that I do is like a little mini game, like a little puzzle where I have to figure out what the optimal way to do it is. 
-hmm. And from what I hear, like over time, Vim users will start to build these paths, almost like building muscle memory or like, like literally, I think it's building paths in your brain is building the, it's building the neural networks to like say, okay, when I need to do this, these are the buttons that I press. And then I think over long period of time, that starts to become very natural. So then my follow up question is, is it the case that while learning, you have a different mindset and, a, and are more sort of mindful and deliberate because you have to, and then eventually the, you know, the, the five year veteran of Vim who's built all these pathways is now equally sort of mindlessly navigating around and doing things in an efficient way. But, but did that person maybe lose some of that deliberate lesson and, and, um, sort of conscious, deliberate, uh, changing and, and are they bouncing around and doing a lot of things, uh, systematically inefficient? That's a good question. I, yeah, there's a lot of technologies that you learn that just change the way you think going forward. I, I And no one talks about like, well, is that permanent or do you lose it over time if you stop doing it? I, I think it's probably like some chunk of it is permanent. But then again, like the basis I'm using for this is, for example, like ML languages, but I haven't stopped using them. So like maybe that's maybe that's not true. Uh, but this reminds me of a, of a thing. Um, uh, there was a talk called Inventing on Principle by Brett Victor. And he mentioned that, uh, I, I, I think it's this talk, where he mentioned that somebody uh, like was really against the idea of having modes in editors, like insert mode, edit mode, uh, and like made a made a, like a big stink about it, like uh, so much so like I think his license plate on his car was no modes. <laughs> nice. And like, you know, he's responsible for the the way editors are today, where you don't have like if you go open like Google like Google Docs, you don't you don't have modes to insert or edit. They're just the uh, there's a menu and there's a bunch of different things. So it's like UI paste, right? So um, like apparently that was like a big win of so much so that like all the, like most of the world used it, right? So like now we're saying like, okay, well maybe there's a way, there's something to this like mode stuff. Uh, well, well, what if it's the opposite? It's true. What if, what if you like, what if, <laughs> what if the reason like we're saying Vim is more popular than Emacs, but like look at the popularity of not Vim. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually I, I don't know about more powerful, um, but like a different approach, I'd say. But the what what you're doing without modes is taking away the learning curve, and I think that's the argument, right? It's like, give me a thing where I can type stuff and print it, and if that's all you're doing, and you're not, you know, if you're writing a book, you're going back and editing a lot, and so editing is important. If you're writing code, it really should be the same, right? You're like you're editing more than you're writing from scratch. And you're probably using snippets and copying and pasting a lot more than you're writing from scratch. So I don't know. I, what what would the world be like if that person wasn't here and instead we did have modes or we had no modes, but the default was Vim's normal mode? I wonder um, collectively the, the change in the way that people's brains work. Because, you, you know, every time you learn something like this, you learn how to open a Google Doc and type out a thing. You, your brain changes in the way that it now knows that thing. Um, so what would the collective impact be on society if like generally we just all use Vim? <laughs> that would be interesting. Yeah, that would be. Uh, you know, so like 
but there's something to say about like so then the correlation about people like if you're using vim you're definitely going to be self-motivated like self-learner type of person like no one's expecting you to do it there's no requirement there like if you're doing it you're doing it for reasons that are correlated with engineering success in my mind so like if you if you forced everyone to do it i wonder if that would still be true like i wonder if the benefit would still be there or at all Mm, interesting yeah or if there'd maybe be other things that that uh that those sorts of people wouldn't do. It's also like a privilege thing, right? Like mm-hmm. I think about um, if you have, you have to be in a certain state of mind to be able to say, oh, I'm going to devote a lot of time to this and I'm going to solve these puzzles and I'm going to like find the best way to do it and, and ignore that I could do it faster another way for a while. Uh, there's a certain amount of like luxury there where like I'm, y- y- I-, I couldn't do this if I was in a lot of, you know, physical or emotional turmoil, or my job was too strenuous and pushing, you know, stressful or whatever. Um, so that's an interesting aspect too. Maybe this is like partially a thing, a, a thing of privilege. Yeah. That being said, I've definitely felt the uh, the FOMO about Vim. I haven't actually dived in at all. I've used Emacs in that course that we talked about earlier. Wasn't super impressed. I was. I wasn't like, wow, this is the future. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I did it because, you know, I was scared that if I didn't use the, exactly the course's uh, recommendations that I would like miss something important or not understand something. So I just followed the instructions exactly. Um, now I realize like that's super like irrelevant. I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, why do they make people do this? Like, it seems like if you're going to learn one thing, just learn one thing. Why make people learn like infinite things, especially because there's the, the, the text editor support is so good in so many different editors for SML. Yep. So I don't know why. But anyway, uh, Maybe that's not true. Maybe the SML support is is crap compared to Emacs support. But uh, yeah, I, I just I just I just haven't really like when I when I sit down, I'm like, okay, listen, am I am I gonna like find some like massive unlock some massive potential by investing into Vim or Emacs or something like that? And then I look at VS Code, and I'm like, okay, I, I can already not use my mouse. Like I can already do pretty good. So, right. What's the uh like what's like when I hear like the benefit of okay, it's like okay, you don't use your mouse. Okay, you have macros, but you have like snip. Like I don't have these. The, I'm not like typing uh, eight hours a day. You know, I'm, I'm typing like maybe one or two hours a day. You know, like the 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 my my bit like my, my I'm not like my bottleneck isn't how fast I'm typing or how how much code I'm producing. Yeah, yeah. I I and I think good Vim instructors will say it's not about speed. Um. It's about it's about clarity of thinking and efficiency in in like thinking through how to do something in a in a precise way, right? To me, it's about that like deliberate precision. Um, there's some there's some good talks, and I think you know I I tried to learn Vim a little bit a few years ago without any really knowledge or people around me who use it, and I just did like Vim Tutor and just like kind of poke through it, and I was like, yeah, this just seems like another way. Not necessarily better or worse, but then I, I I recently watched a few videos, some old videos from um, ThoughtWorks, and there's some really good explanations of like how over a long period of time, like you'll never really master Vim um, because it's just it's just huge, and the ways that you can do things are so expansive, and the the customizability is so expansive. But then also I look at I don't want a ton of plugins. I don't want to have to remember and manage dependencies on plugins and you know have to like 
worry about moving my vimrc all over the place even though that's easy and i sync rcs anyway uh i'd rather just download vs code without it without any real plugins or or worry about plugins and just use it you know and if vs code is getting to the point where it's baking in a lot of stuff that is not native to vim which is surprising how long vim went with that <laughs> with that was still being like superior like you can do multi multiple cursor things in vim which is you know 30 years before the next te text editor could even do that um but you can do a lot of things better now in vs code or you know select a thing in um command f alt enter and get cursors on every instance of that thing in the file like you can do that you can do it similarly in vim but like not as nice not as elegant in my opinion so it's it is interesting, but also I'll say the VS Code Vim plugin plays really nicely with VS Code, so it's not difficult to have it both ways. You know, the 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 keyboard shortcuts and commands and stuff don't conflict from what I've seen very much. You reminded me of uh, I was doing a, a mentoring session with somebody who was doing their first ever compute like computer science course, and one of the complaints this person had was coding was so tedious because you do something you realize you're going down a wrong path and then you got to like change and now you have to your the amount of typing and moving around stuff you have to do is like so much and i was like well i don't i don't feel that way like but then i watched this person do it and it was more like you know using the mouse all the time like yeah very, very like misprecise like keyboard presses like if you're trying to make a, a curly brace, maybe you do like a parenthesis instead, you know, it's a very like, you know, just early, early in the, in the like first ever experience with computer science and, you know, mastering your, your, your tool gives you the ability to like, no longer have to think about it. You just, you just think about uh, like, what do you want to build? What, what do you want to do? And I, I don't feel like the, like actually writing the code is tedious at all. So uh, th that is like uh, an important thing to understand. So maybe if you're doing Vim, you you go even further than that. Yeah, maybe it's. Uh, I I do think there's something there about like when I'm not using Vim, I'm clicking around, scrolling around, you know, holding down the arrow keys all over the place. Uh, Alt. I, I have like a subword navigation plugin, so I can pretty easily use arrows, Shift, and Alt to like get around by word, uh -huh. and I find it pretty intuitive and easy. It's the same as like B W and E and Vim, just like navigation by word um but i'm doing it all the time even when i'm not actually trying to change anything on a line or something right i'm just like selecting text selecting text selecting text just like a, like a fidget spinner you know just like fidgeting yeah. around with the code and looking around at it and i think that's the that's the deliberate mind shift is like okay i need to be very precise and i need to make sure to not mess anything up and so it, it goes back to that old, I have a poster in my room, first solve the problem, then write the code. Like first solve the problem of what do you actually want to change? And once you have it all in your head, <laughs> then hit the keyboard in a way that makes that change and does it in an optimal way. That's that's like, you know, potentially cached and repeatable. And, you know, you, maybe you have something in your registers, which is like a bunch of clipboards. Um, and you've done the, and you've done the change well and probably saved time because you first, you, you first thought about what the change should be. And so you're, you know, that you're probably less likely to have to go back and make a, 
uh, a different decision. I'm wondering, you were mentioning like forcing people or like maybe introducing Vim to people who are not engineers. I wonder like, is it more important in your mind to first learn how to type at a reasonable pace before using Vim? Or do you think that people who are still typing with two fingers still should learn Vim first? Mm, Interesting. That is interesting. I don't know, because part of me wants to say if you're in um, normal mode most of the time, it actually feels less important to me that you have a fast insert mode speed, right? Typing out words is less important than optimally getting to the place modifying in the right way. And so I, I, I almost want to say it's maybe less important to know you know, have your proper fingers hit the proper keys on the home row, you know, and, and all the classic typing things. And, and in fact, it opens you up. If, if you're not already super comfortable with the normal QWERTY keyboard, you can jump into Dvorak or something more optimal mm-hmm. more easily and still be fine because you're not, you're, you're not normally in insert mode. You're normally in normal mode. And so it doesn't matter as much. I like how the Vim Tutor it's like don't memorize anything. Just do the do the actual keyboard things with your actual physical hands because that it I think what they're trying to do there is bypass the memorization step and just go straight to muscle memory, which is where you want to be. That's where you get the benefits. Yeah, uh, which I thought was really interesting. It definitely is true. I mean, I remember uh, doing stuff like in, in these mentoring sessions where someone's watching me and they're like, well, how'd you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. Don't... <laughs> yeah. Let me let me slow way down and then try and think about it. It's like trying to think about every syllable that you're speaking as you're speaking it. I think it's similar with languages too, right? If you're trying to learn a language, yeah, there's a certain amount of vocab that you have to just memorize. But the best way to do it is just actively speak with somebody else that speaks that language. And just get the active correction along the way and you bypass the memorization phase. And then along the lines of your poster, you said, um, right, like solve the problem, then write the code. Like, doesn't Vim lower the barrier to entry to just write the code first? And then maybe you've written so much code, <laughs> but you haven't solved the problem. Like, does it, like, how does it, how does, like, okay, if you're a really, really good engineer, you're going to solve the problem first, write the code later, right? But if you're using Vim, doesn't it like entice you to write code? Like, doesn't it like, well, to me, it does the same thing on a very on a smaller scale. So if I'm not using Vim, I'll like double click something and start changing what it says. Versus when I'm using Vim, I have to think. And maybe this is not true for people who have been using it forever, but I have to think. Okay, what exactly is the change I want to make and why? And then do how do I get the cursor there? And then do I want to um, worry about where? the text that I'm removing goes, like put it into a register. Do I want to mark? Do I want a marker so I can get my cursor back? And obviously this all happens very quickly, but it's like, um, it's a, it's a series of patterns instead of a sort of reflexive or reactive action to like, just go change something without first thinking through some of the consequences of it. So, I mean, uh, I'm coming at this from somebody who hasn't done this, but just from like my intuition, it seems like if you're adding cognitive complexity to something, you're going to take away the solving the problem stuff by adding this complexity. here. You're saying taking away the like the higher level of like yeah. what what is the problem that I'm the, trying to make this code solve? 
like for example like the way i'm coming from this is uh like there's a psychological barrier actually solving problems first because yeah like you know procrastination all that stuff like everyone is like uh geared towards not like doing the hard stuff first they're doing the easy stuff first right yeah so if, if you can like f like if you can feel proud of yourself by moving your cursor around and like doing all the things you mentioned you're gonna go for that before you're gonna go for like stressing yourself out about solving problems to me but i think that the i think it's has to do with the mindset right if you're if you if you have the it is for me currently it's for sure additional cognitive overhead for people who have used vim for a lot longer i've only been using it for like a week and a half uh for them, it's definitely not cognitive overhead, but it does, I think, still trigger the same sort of mental pathways of like intentional, deliberate, precise movement and action rather than sort of reactive and less, I want to say less mindful. Uh, yeah. But does that make sense? It's like, it's like if you're doing that at every level, it bleeds into everything you do. And so I think you're less likely to 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 also just start writing code uh, at a higher level. So that makes me think there's one other correlation to think about with uh, with Vim users and like people who are really good engineers, which is the idea that they don't give up. So because if you're saying like the the, the glory of Vim isn't going to happen within the first like six months of using it, and those people still stick around to find the benefits after like five years, let's say, despite like that massive long investment period. Where they actually worse off, then if you're if you're doing that, then like the things that the kinds of things that you can learn are much much they're much much more important things you can learn. For example, like I, I feel like uh, the JavaScript community over indexes on learning something in, like in five minutes or in ten minutes or in like a, a day or so, whereas like some things you can't do that, and some things you have to learn like over a much longer period of time. And if you're somebody who can like with with like withstand the, the the noob feeling of like, hey I'm a noob like I thought I was a good engineer but now I'm a noob uh, if you can withstand that maybe that's a correlation as well yeah but I think I think it's not hard to stick with it once you grok the sort of the way that it changes the game and the way that it's like fundamentally once you get the concept that like it's fundamentally a better way to do the things that you need to do then it's like okay obviously in the long term this is going to have exponential gains and exponential payoff even though in the short term or even medium term it's going to be a little bit worse for me so i think once you see the investment like the, it's like it's like people that were really early in um uh, in cryptocurrencies and like understood the implications of you know just just money and currency and where it's going and the, the concept is very very different and the buy-in for many years was like i mean it, it could have completely flopped but for the people that saw that like obviously this is a complete game changer a complete shift or i think about the um vr the first time i put on a vr headset that was decent i was like oh this is a thing this is for sure a thing i mean maybe not now and maybe not maybe not even in 10 years but this is definitely a thing this is right. really an interesting thing that it can track your your head so well that it's 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 incredible technology. So there are things like that, or or even further back, think about people Unix and Linux versus um, versus like DOS, you know, base systems, and the just fundamentally at the at the root of it, better systems because of the better architecture and people that stuck with that. 
I mean, they were, they're still not the most popular systems. Uh, maybe they are, but, but like, you know, the, when you, once you grok that and understand it, like you're going to put your chips in the long term in that, in that field, in that area, that's just fundamentally a better way to go. Do you think that it's important to have buy-in for something that you're learning, like before it's worth it? Like, for example, I'm going to learn Vim no matter what, right? I'm not going to like evaluate it every five days. I'm not going to like question whether it's a good idea or not. I'm just going to say like, you know what? I'm, I'm like fully like no matter what, it could be the worst decision in the world, but I'm going to do it, right? Do you feel like that's mm-hmm. important in learning these kinds of things? Um, I don't think so. I think you should have a reason to learn something. Well, the reason is that someone else is doing it that you respect, right? That's the reason. Okay, sure. I think, yeah. I mean, I, I see value in that because you can always come away from the learning, you know, once you reflect and say, uh, now I no longer respect that person's opinion, <laughs> you know, or what, you know, the change is going to be positive no matter what, I think, as long as you're not investing too much right. and, you know, you have to weigh the opportunity loss against something else. I'd say the important thing is to focus on one thing at a time and make sure that it's feels like the most important thing, or at least as close as you can get to the most important thing to learn. So we talked about Vim a lot. Do you want to talk about Conway's law? Yeah, we're at 30 minutes in. So, uh, real quick. (laughs) Actually, I don't know how long we want this to go. Who cares? Um, Yeah, I saw a thing that was interesting. So my team at work is moving teams and and I was having a pretty hard time pinning down why uh, from the people who made the decision. And what I started to think last night was maybe there's a Conway's Law thing happening here. Conway's Law is that thing where it's like the... Um, systems that an organization will build are going to look a lot like the communication structures of that organization. So if you have a bunch of small teams working independently, you're probably going to build some microservices or something something like that. Um, if you have one giant team, you're probably going to build some monol- uh, monolithic architecture, you know, for example. Or there's like, there's these, another example, if you get five engineers, oh, what's the saying? If you get five engineers building Perl, you'll get four different ways of doing it. And then one person as a manager. Uh, So I was thinking like, what do it it appears that there's a lot of evidence behind Conway's law. And so when we're thinking about what what is the right way for a business to take that into account? And what I was thinking is it would be, would it be a good idea for a business to say, okay, we know our customer and we know our customer needs, or we know the value that we're providing and we know how that's supposed to look. Based on that, we know what type of architecture roughly we need. And so based on that, here is how we're going to structure teams. Does that make sense? And then the first action you actually take to 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 serve the customer is to divide teams in, in a way that is going to have that result. So like, but you're not saying like how you should structure it. You're just trying to say like, oh, I'm going to use this information to make this. Right. Yeah. Like that's going to be the driver and that's going to be the first thing. It's not, it's not, oh, we need to build this system. It's, it's, oh, we have an idea of what the, what the architecture should be to best serve our customer. So now the first thing we're going to do is some org restructuring. (laughs) Is that, is that a good idea or is that like completely insane? I mean, I definitely think it's a good idea. Like, I, I think the model I like the most is like, for example, 
have you have you seen DoorDash's uh like announcement that everybody's going to be doing some sort of deliveries from every department, like including engineering? Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, so once a month, like you have, like everybody has to do a DoorDash, right? Mm-hmm. So it gives people like full context of the experience, like from the customer experience, the driver experience. Like you get a lot of context when you do this, and answers a lot of questions that you probably had in your head. Uh, you know, it, uh, this, this is also like uh, something similar to like I don't I don't know where it came from. I think it was some kind of like Japanese car manufacturer had this idea where every role would like transition into another role. So like if you were like an engineer, you would also then do a, be be a manager and then like be like on the manufacturing line and like you know you do every single role. Everybody did every single role, so you had full context. And I feel like that's a great idea because context is so important and will probably lead to solutions that are simpler than if you were in a silo. But I wonder how that how Conway's law sees that. Oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. That reminds me of I had a CTO at a old company who. Um, because when he joined the company, nobody was around to like empty uh, empty everybody's garbage cans. Like he did it, and all the way up until he was CTO, he still did it because he found such value in going to everybody's desk and you know humbly <laughs> taking their garbage and putting it in a bag and taking it out and just like chatting with everybody and it's just like a getting this like deep connection. I think that's i don't know i i can't wrap my head around the implications to conway's law of that like just having people like are are you saying i imagine with doordash people are not changing teams they're just sort of doing a study abroad sort of thing where they're testing the waters i i imagine that wouldn't too much of an impact from the perspective of conway's law versus if you were like actually disrupting teams frequently and putting people in different roles um that 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 feels like just inefficient chaos to me <laughs> inefficient chaos i mean the way i feel like if, if your organization gets to a certain size your your code like the so the problems that you're solving become very uh scoped to your view of the problem whereas like like let me give you an example like for uh you know we have this uh this internal tool at wayfair and uh, users can like make a bunch of changes in this internal tool and then save them. But if, mm-hmm. if something goes wrong, then we display errors to the like error messages to the user. And so the question was, to, like we, we talked with XD, like the question was like, okay, do like uh, like this is the, the problem is like how do we how do we uh, share like this these problems to the user? Like you know, what if some like what if you're dealing with stale data? Like, what if there was a like a like some reason this category couldn't have been updated for some reason, and this is the reason why? And uh, when we presented the problem, um, the the person on XD was was saying, "Well, uh, you know, this is actually like reminds me of like a, a larger like workflow issue. Like, should we, like are two people going to be working on the same thing at the same time? Like, let's go think of it at that level, like rather than thinking about it at like the level of how do we solve this problem, right?" So we were thinking of it from like a small perspective and they were thinking it from like, oh, we know the users. We know what they're even doing. Like why, like would this problem come up? If it is like, let's talk about the structure of that team. So what I'm saying is like, if we hadn't talked to them, we would have solved it in a way that probably would be less ideal, right? But Mm -hmm. scale that up to like entire organization. How many problems are we solving in a way that are like, if if we just knew a little bit more, we would solve, we would find like a very simple. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I think there are not only that, but there are, there are things that 
skills that some teams have that other teams don't. And there are frustrations built into teams. I think of like customer service and, you know, if I'm, if I'm uh, just trying to do the best I can with the system that I have, but the system sucks for my job, like what, what power do I have at the average company to change that? It's like not much, but if you get an engineer to go over there and look at how they're, what they're trying to do and how they're using the system, then that's really powerful because then they go back and they say, well, obviously this sucks. I'm going to just rewrite it because it, it's not what we thought. And yeah, it's about that. Do you have that knowledge sharing and information or not? Um, I, t I 100% agree. I think, <laughs> I think an organization, as they get bigger and bigger, it's more likely that they'll have those inefficiencies because it's more and more difficult to share across all the different parts of an organization. Like, yeah, you, you talk about Wayfair, we have this whole, like, side of the business that's all about like getting things from China to the US. And there's a massive, you know, hundreds of companies involved in that. Um, so like, how do you how do you find those efficiencies in that? I don't know. That's uh, it's interesting to think about. I, I think probably in the very long term, we'll get there. Um, and part of that, I think, is consolidating companies, literally, and con consolidating industries. And there's, I think there's ups and downs to that. But yeah. I wonder if we just taught everybody, would that solve any problems at all? I don't know. I, I mean, there's also the egotistical side of, of me that's like, well, if we just only hire engineers at a company and, you know, how would it, because an engineer can obviously do every, every job better than anybody else. Oh, right? that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that's not true, but I think a lot of engineers think that way, right? They're like, oh, if I was that customer service rep, uh, I would just rewrite the code, <laughs> so, you know, something like that. But like, yeah, that's there was there was this great talk by Joe Armstrong, the creator of, of Erlang, and he was uh, he was he gave a talk in like the nineties, I think, or or I think around the nineties, and he was talking about how like you know he was basically saying you're welcome to the next generation for all the crap code we wrote because now you all have jobs. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Maintaining code is much more of a job than uh, writing it from scratch. So I feel like uh, like if those engineers felt that way, they would just be doing the same old stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got to wrap this up. Yep, I think it's a good place to wrap up. You got a closer? Closer. Maybe the problems will persist, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't learn from them. There you go. All right, play the outro music. If I was, a, if uh, you know, I think engineers are better that can be better musicians too, right? Like we we probably know everything. So let's just sing a song or like come up with that on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yes.